Okay, good morning. This, uh, this week we have the privilege of studying Parsha's Bishalach together. And as uh, always, we'll begin with our overview of the Parsha, and then delve into the Psukim, which I hope will have meaning beyond just understanding the Parsha. But we're going to study Az Yashir together today, in a way that hopefully will illuminate um, our daily davening as well. So we begin with the Parsha, page 366, in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. And she mentioned it's her father's yurt site this week. Irving Stone, all of Shalom's yurt site this week. So our learning will dedicate Le'iloi Nishmaso. What's his Hebrew name? Yitzchak ben Yaakov. So every time we benefit from the stone chumash, it certainly serves to elevate his memory. So page 366, the parsha begins where we left off last week. Last week we finally had the miraculous redemption, the liberation. We were freed from the bondage of Egypt. Paro uh, was forced, his will was broken to release uh, the people. We studied at length last week uh, how that happened, the development of that. And so this week's parsha begins, Vayihi b'shalach paro asam. It's when paro sends out the people. Vayihi, the Gemara tells us, is always a lushan of oivei. It's a negative language. Why would one associate leaving Egypt with a negative language? Vayihi b'shalach paro asam. When paro sent the people. It should be a positive. It should be overjoyed. So I'll leave you to think about that question. Why the negative? But God, this people had not yet, while they had been taken out of Egypt, Egypt had not been taken out of them. It's, it's kind of the, the um, victim of abuse syndrome, the battered wife syndrome. Even though they now had a, a new chance, a fresh opportunity, a new start, they couldn't imagine, they still couldn't, they still couldn't believe that they were getting this chance. And therefore, if a Baruch Hu took them in close proximity, there was the risk that they might, uh, that they might turn back. So therefore, God takes them in an unusual pattern. We know the two interpretations. Either v'chamushim means they left armed, they were prepared for battle, or v'chamushim means only one-fifth, only 20% of the Jews left Egypt, which is incredible. But again, it emphasizes this theme, this notion that you have to believe, you have to subscribe to the belief that you can have a better future. If you believe, if, you've, if you resign to your fate, if you forfeited your destiny, you can't imagine anything different than you stay enslaved. Even when someone comes, the whole idea of addiction and intervention, even when family gathers friends to, to run an intervention to liberate someone from that which they're enslaved to, they have to embrace it, they have to choose it. Even when the doorway is open for someone to walk through towards a free life to be redeemed, they have to choose it. Only 20% chose it. 80% stayed. It's an incredible, incredible statistic. What? Yeah, yeah, we saw some of them also wanted to go back. This is unfortunately a phenomenon that repeats itself. The time of Ezra, redemption from the, from the Gullahs, from exile, and only a fraction return. And tragically, as we sit here studying this together, where we're studying it, we once again, the doorway is open, the redemption is provided, and yet only a fraction of the Jewish people are returning. Kibbutz Goliath and Mitzvah Shem next year will study Parshat Peshach together in Yerushalayim Yerak Kodesh. We should, all, we should all go. So, and then Moshe takes the Atmos Yosef Imo. Moshe takes the bones of Yosef, Kiashpeh, Hishpias Bnei Israel. You remember at the end of Sefer Bracious, Yosef's final act is to ask his family to swear they're not going to leave him buried in Egypt, but rather they collect the bones and carry the bones of Yosef with them. And this, of course, is also a theme that continues. When we study Pesach, Pesach Sheni, 
in uh, Sefer Bamidbar, one of the opinions about why these individuals were impure and unable to celebrate Pesach, it was those who continued to fulfill this promise. The promise to Yosef was that his bones would not be left in Egypt. He would ultimately find his permanent burial in the land of Israel. Anyway, they begin to travel. God begins the miracles of the desert lifestyle. They have the miraculous pillar of the cloud to lead them in the day and the pillar of fire that leads them at night. It protects them, it guards them, it's always there. Paro begins to have his change of heart. Even after all they had been through, ten plagues, the loss of the firstborn, Throughout all of Egypt, Paro is not done. Paro is not done. He can't give it up. He doesn't understand. It's not meant to be. And so he uh, convinces, he persuades his armies to join him and to follow him. And they go in pursuit of the Jewish people. And what happens? The people now get stuck between the proverbial rock and hard place. They see the Egyptians pursuing them from behind. They see the sea in front of them, uh, before them. And they are frozen in fear. And what do they do? They do what seemingly they've been taught to do. They do something that we should be lauding and praising them for doing. We do something that we only wish and hope our children would do when they're in a tough situation. What do they do? They start davening. They pray. They start davening. And what's Moshe's reaction to their davening? What's Hashem's reaction, I should say? to their davening. In the middle of page 370, What are you screaming out to me? Speak to the Jewish people, and go, and start walking. I have a plan. But you need to take initiative. You need to, you need to do something. You need to partner. You need to be part of this. During World War II, they used to say, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Oh, that's a great expression. <laughs> Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. That's good. That, yeah, that pretty, much, uh, that pretty much captures it. So that's what Hashem says to Moshe. It's kind of counterintuitive. One would think that sitting in prayer is beautiful, but this is a source of a big discussion. Not for now. We, we discussed it in the Shabbat Shuba a few years ago. But that is the relationship between divine providence and human initiative and free will that... Essentially, the idea, at least the way it is to me, is that we have two forms of prayer. We have prayer with words. We pray to our Kaddish Baruch Hu with our words. And we pray to our Kaddish Baruch Hu with our actions. We can also pray through deed. Meaning, we have to take initiative. We have to do. And we show when we do that we believe that God will make our doing, that God will take our initiative and turn it into something which is successful, will actualize what we're trying to accomplish. So many people excel at the praying with words, and then they're apathetic and complacent, and they don't do anything with deeds. Some do everything with deeds, letter-writing campaigns, rallies, they show up, they do what they need to, but they lack turning to God with words. And what a Kodesh Baruch is trying to instill within us, to cultivate within us, is that healthy balance. To understand that we pray with our words, and we pray with our deeds, at the same time it requires both. So Hashem tells Moshe, Why are you, you can understand this a little bit, deeper also, but you're continuing to have the slave mentality. The slave is passive to their own destiny. The slave waits for life to happen to them. I'm trying to liberate this people. I'm trying to elevate this people. I'm trying to empower this people to understand that they have the capacity to forge their own destiny, to forge their own way. Not to sit passively waiting to be told. So, they're standing there, they're continuing the slave mentality. Start going. Start going.
Also, we understand who was the individual who started to go. Nachshon ben Aminadav, the Medrash, we've studied it in the past. The Medrash asks why Yehuda was Zochel Amalchus, why Yehuda uh, was destined to be, to have the monarchy. Why is royalty associated with the tribe of Yehuda, David, Melch, Yisrael, and so on? So the Medrash goes through three answers, but ultimately the Medrash concludes it's in the merit of his grandson, Nachshon ben Aminadav, who when everyone else stood passively on the shore, he began to walk till the water went up to his ankle, and to his knee, and to his waist, and to his chest, and to his shoulders, and to his chin, and he kept walking all the while, until the water finally, until the water finally split. It's actually an incredible message too. You can, you can almost picture it. They're on the shore, they probably broke up into committees. What should we do? <laughs> you know, they, they talk about uh, analysis paralysis or death by committee. And you know all of, the, uh, all of the aphorisms. But you can almost imagine. I guarantee you every Jew standing on the shore that day had an opinion about what they should do. But you know what Nashim Ben Aminadav did? He reserved his opinion and he just did it. And that's leadership. And that's why Nashim Ben Aminadav is a name that's remembered probably the only of the Nasim names really on the edge of the tip of our lips that's remembered until today because while everyone else pontificated and everyone else told Moshe what they should do and what he's doing wrong and what he would do right and here's our command this is the consensus and this is what our board let's take a vote you know Nachshem ben Aminadav didn't pontificate and he didn't express opinions he started walking he started walking and the result was our people here today the miracle of having been of having been redeemed and what I want to study together today is the reaction the sea splits, the Egyptians walk in, the water crashes down, it drowns all of them. We know the salvation. And how do the Jewish people react? Az Yashir Moshe, which we'll study together. Az Yashir Moshe, they began to sing. We'll go through exactly their song. Why is it laid out the way it is? What does it really mean? Following their song, Miriam and the women sing. Remarkably, the Mepharshim point out. What does Miriam take out right away? She takes out the instrument, the drum in her hand. Where in the world did Miriam get a drum? Just right then, she's got her guitar. She's got her drum. Right there, she's got the piano. Where, where did she get this from? They're slaves. They leave Egypt. They're running for their lives. They see the Egyptians. The sea splits. Where in the world did she get a drum? What do you see about Miriam? Consistent with what we know about Miriam? Not only she's resourceful, but she's got foresight. She has belief in the future. How is it possible for her to have had a musical instrument then? Only if she took it with her when she left. Only if she believed that there would be reason and cause to use it, to play it, to celebrate with it, to sing and dance. It's her foresight. And again, this is the attribute that she is, uh, that's associated with her. It's in her merit. We spoke about this too. When her parents gave up, and said, why would we bring children into this world? She was the one who said, no, it will yet turn. It will yet be better. That uh, she was Roa Es Hanolad. Women are given the holiday of Rosh Chodesh we talked about, because Rosh Chodesh is all about being Roa Es Hanolad. We celebrate the moon when it's a sliver, but believing that it's going to grow full once again. And here's another example of Miriam and the women having prepared for the redemption before it came. Right? The only way they could have had these instruments is if they anticipated the redemption. And you only anticipate the redemption when you believe it's going to come. They leave the uh, edge of the, uh, of the Yamsuf and they continue to go. And it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long until the Jewish people complain. They're thirsty. They're tested. They complain. The contrast of these verses is unbelievable. 
They've just experienced unparalleled, unprecedented miracles. They react in an unparalleled way with the singing of Shira. And now five minutes later, I'm thirsty. Are we almost there yet? I'm tired. It's like Lahavda. You leave Disney. You spend all your money, your whole day, and your fee. You gave the most incredible day in the world. And you're in the car five minutes. Are we almost home. I'm tired. It's not fair. What? Anyway. So, Vayulonu uh, Ha'am. And uh, here I shared with you before, I think it's the interpretation of the Kutzker. Marasa, the bottom of page 380. They arrived at Mara, but they couldn't drink the water of Mara. What is Marim Haim? What does the Haim amplify? Who's the Haim, this pronoun? They were bitter. What was bitter? The simple understanding is the water was bitter. But I think it's the Kutzker who understands, no, it wasn't the water. The people were bitter. And basically there's two types of people in life. So it's called the missing tile syndrome. You could Google the missing tile syndrome. Missing tile syndrome. You could Google it. It's actually a psychological study or analysis or profile. If you look up in the ceiling, instead of seeing all of the tiles that are there, your eyes gravitate to the missing tile. The missing tile syndrome is rather than acknowledge all that is there, to always be drawn to what's missing. Whole house is clean, there's one spot. How come the whole house is a mess, there's one spot? It's the missing tile syndrome. It's to always be drawn to what's missing. Marim Haim says the Kutzker means, means not the water, the people. If you live your life bitter, then you'll always see everything wrong. You'll always have reason to complain. You'll always see the glass, glass is half empty. If you're bitter, if your life is sweet, then everything's sweet. You'll see what's full, you'll see the full tiles, you'll see the big picture, you see what's there. So the Kutzker says, Ki marim heim, not the waters, but the people. And what we are predisposed, how we feel going in, will determine whether we're happy with what we find or whether we find reason to complain. God performs again the first of the miracles, sweetens the water, and they are all good, and they are on their way. They begin their travels, and then the Parsha, towards the end we have the Mon, the Mon falls. Today is... Uh, considered for many an auspicious day to recite the Parsha Saman. It's brought down. To say the Parsha Saman, to read this section where the man descends from heaven on the Yom Shlishi today, Tuesday, of the week of Parsha's Peshalach, it's auspicious. But you know what I say? You know what the greatest school of for Parnassa is? Having a job. <laughs> I mean, it's ironic that in the very same Parsha, where God says, Matetzak what are you screaming at me? Go to go. So people are saying, stop saying, go to work. <laughs> That's the, of course we turn to Hashem. And of course the message of the man is that our livelihood descends from above. Um, and that's the symbolism. We draw from that every single week. We work all week and then we get to the Shabbos table. And we sit with the Lecha Mishnah. And we look at that Lecha Mishnah and we remember the double portion that whatever we've merited to buy the food that we're about to eat for Shabbos, the merit of the results of the work of our entire week that, that that's come on in no problem no problem come on in the merit of the work of the entire week that enables us to buy our food for Shabbos that the man it descended from heaven just like the man descended from heaven that it's all it all comes together and that's what the man is supposed to remind us the Lecha Mishnah just like the man fell in the desert there was a layer of dew underneath it protecting it a layer of dew on top of it so to our Lecha Mishnah we um, we uh, have a tablecloth underneath it and we use the challah cover on top of it. And much of the symbolism of the of the man is uh, of the lecha mishnah is modeled after the the uh, the man.
Okay, they complain again. Then we have the gift of Shabbos, the preparation of the first Shabbos. And they uh, continue to journey. And then we have the water from the rock. They complain again. And we have the episode of the, of the rock. And then finally the Parsha ends with the attack of Amalek. Moshe appoints Yoshua, go choose men of distinction to go to fight with Amalek. They do. Moshe, Aaron, Vachur, Alu, Rosh, HaGiv'ah. Moshe, Aaron, and Chur go on top of the mountain. And Vayaka, Asher, Yarim, Moshe, Yadov, Gavar Yisrael. When Moshe, um, when Moshe lifts his arms, the Jewish people were triumphant. And when he let his hands down, Amalek was triumphant. The Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah asks, the Chiyad of Shemosha, Asos Melchama, page 392. Is it the arms of Moshe that make war? Whether Moshe's arms are lifted or down? What kind of hibijibi uh, magic is that? We don't believe in that. So of course the Mishnah responds, of course it's not Moshe's hands. It's that when Moshe's hands are lifted and point towards the heavens, when the people look up and recognize. While we take our initiative, ultimately our, our success or failure is determined by Hashem, then they were successful. When Moshe's hands were lowered and the people concluded that it's not up to Hashem, but rather it's up to our own initiative exclusively, when they neglected and abandoned God's role, then then Amalek was successful. Then Vigavar Amalek. So this is a message that when we fight our enemies until this very day, the Amalek of today, Iran and others, we have to look heavenward. We have to take our initiative. We have to do everything that we have to do. But at the same time, we can never neglect or marginalize or, or minimize God's role in whatever the outcome will be. Once saw a beautiful interpretation. I think it was from the Or Gedalia or Gedalia Shores, that's how. It says, Moshe, Aaron, Vachur, Alu, Rosha, Giva. Who went to the top of the mountain? Moshe, Aaron, and Chur. Moshe we know, Aaron we know. Who's Chur? What do we know about Chur? What do we know about Chur's personality? With the Chaita Egel, when the Jewish people were waiting, Moshe did not descend from the mountain in a timely fashion. And they panicked. And they built the Egel. Chur tried to intercede and stop them. And he came very aggressively towards them. And what did the people do? They killed Chur. They killed Chur. Chur is, Rashi says, Binasha Miriam Haya. Miriam's son. Chur was Miriam's son. Chur was a zealot. And when the Jewish people tried to build the Egel, he very zealously went to try to stop them. And the result of his zealousness was his own murder. They killed him. Aaron, on the other hand, Miriam's Chur's uncle, Miriam's brother, was exactly the opposite. What's Aaron? How do we characterize Aaron? Oiv Shalom, Verodev Shalom. He's a lover of peace and harmony. And when he saw them with the Chayta Egel, he tried to buy time. So the question on Aaron was it a legitimate way to try to buy time? But he tried to buy time. Says the Urgadal Yahu, you have Moshe in the middle. Moshe represents God's ambassador. Moshe is the Shliach Hashem. Who does he go up on the mountain with? Aaron on one side and Chur on the other. It's only when the two partner together. It's when the two perspectives, Aaron who comes with his perspective, Chur who comes with his perspective, it's only when they go together, Moshe, Aaron, Chur, Alu, Rosha, Giva, that's when you're successful. You needed a bipartisan effort. Aaron and Chur represent different approaches and perspectives to solving problems. Aaron is a pacifist, a negotiator, diplomacy. Chur was more aggression, aggressiveness, and so on. It's only, says the, the uh, Orgidayo, 
It's only when Moshe Aaron Vachur Alu Rosh It's Apex Shabbos to Shabbos, so appropriate to plug bipartisan effort. It's when you're when you have to have your eye on the ball of what the goal is. If you want to be effective and accomplish the goal, you require unity. Only with unity can you accomplish the goal. So that's what the Yerushalayim says. Aaron and Chur had to set aside their different approaches or strategies or methodologies. They had to unite in defending against Amalek. And it's only when there's a united front, a bipartisan effort towards that goal, were they successful. Very interesting approach. And the Parsha ends. This is to end our overview. Our overview seems to take at least half the class. But uh, our overview ends. God promises us that He's going to erase the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. Which is fascinating. Because what does God ask us to do later, in the end of Kisaytzeh? Never forget what Amalek did. So here we have God saying, I'm going to obliterate, I'm going to permanently erase, delete, purge Amalek's memory from under the heavens. Oh, by the way, you have an obligation to remember Amalek on a regular basis. So which is it, God? Are you trying to obliterate and erase the memory of Amalek? Should we act and pretend as if they never existed? They're unworthy of acknowledgement of even existing? No Wikipedia entry on Amalek? They never existed? We're erasing Amalek mitachas Hashemayim? Or is it Zachor? Or do we have an obligation to remember? Which is it? So maybe Parshas, maybe we'll wait till uh, Zachor to talk about that before Purim. Okay, that's the end of the Parsha. Let's go back to Az Yashir. What I want to study together. Az Yashir appears on page... 374, the bottom of page 374, Perak Tezvav, chapter 15, verse number 1. Now before we can begin reading Az Yashir and trying to get into it, we really have to understand what's going on here. This is very, very unusual. Very, very unusual. What's the Shabbos known as? Shabbos Shira. is the Shabbos of the song. This is the Shabbos of song of Shira. Because Az Yashir that was sung after the crossing of the sea. Now, among reasons this was a monumental event that they sang Shira is the fact that it was the very first time. The Medrash Mos Rabbach of Gimel Dalet says, this was the very first time. From the day of creation until this day, that they stood on the other side of the sea successfully walking out alive, no one, no one, no one had sung Shira. Not Adam Arishon, not Noah, not Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, nobody, not Sarev Garach of Nobody. And the Medrash elaborates. Bora Adam Arishon, Shira. Adam had been created. You'd think he'd wake up in the Garden of Eden, having everything for him in life, no work necessary. You'd think he'd sing Shira. No. Says the Avram is saved from the fiery furnace. Avram is saved from the war with the kings. Avram is triumphant, emerges to have a very prominent, prestigious life. No Shira. Yitzchak is saved from Akedah's Yitzchak. You'd think he climbs down from the altar, looks up and sings Shira to God. Oh, that was a close call. Mashira says the Medrash, Yaakov is saved. The Malach he wrestles with through the night. He says, thank God, all I got is sciatica. We complain about it, but he didn't complain. He says, thank God, that's all I got as a result. I could have been killed. He reunites with his brother Esau. He walks away alive. Shechem, his sons perpetrate an incredible act of, of, uh, of communal punishment, and there's no revenge. 
And does Yaakov sing Shira? Velo Amar Shira. Concludes the Medrash. Kevin Shabo Yisrael Yam and Nikra Lahem. When the Jewish people get to the sea and it splits, Miyar Amr Shira of Nekarish Baruch Shinamar, Az Yashir Moshe, Ubene Yisrael. So immediately they sang, as it says, Az then. And then Amr Akarish Baruch God said, Le'elu Hayisi Mitzapa. I've been waiting for these. It is for these individuals, for this moment, I have been sitting and waiting. Certainly, certainly, Adam, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Noach brought a korban. Certainly, they were all expressed gratitude. Certainly, they all expressed gratitude. So, what does it mean that sing Shira? What is Shira, and what is Shira in contrast to Hoda, to gratitude, to Hala? What is Shira? What is Shira? This is Shabbos Shira, and we're going to read the Shira. And every day in davening, we say the Shira. So we should at least know what is Shira. What is Shira? What did they feel at that moment? What precipitated? What, what was the genesis of this experience? The Gemara in Sanhedrin, Gemara in Sanhedrin, the Aleph of Bey says, Kola Omer Shira B'choyom, Zoche V'omer La'olam Haba. If you say Shira every day, you merit to say it, to sing it in Olam Haba in the world to come. Clearly it's something which is very significant. I'll tell you even more so, forget the world to come, you don't have to wait till then. The Mishnah Brura quotes the Zohar, who says, whoever experiences joy, when they say Az Yashir every day, is part of the daily Davni Pesuki de Zimra, if you experience Simcha, if you tap into joy when saying Az Yashir daily, then you find your place in Olam Haba, and your life in this world is transformed. So the Mishnah Brura endorses, you got to be able to say Shira, with a sense of joy. So what is Shira? What is Shira? So maybe you can understand it based on a Mechilta. The Medrash, the Medrash, the Mechilta, on the words Vayomru Lemor, they said, saying, Az Yashir Moshe, they said, saying, says, Rabbi Akiva says, what did they say? The Rabbi Akiva likens the Az Yashir to Halal. Understandable. Halal. Halal is praise of the Almighty. This Az Yashir can be categorized as praise of the Almighty. It's completely logical. It makes a lot of sense to me to say Az Yashir and Halal have a lot in common. But Rabbi Nehemia comes along and Rabbi Nehemia says, no, 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 no. Az Yashir is not similar to Halal. Az Yashir is similar to Shema. Az Yashir is similar to Shema. Az Yashir is, we just had these miracles, it was unbelievable, it was incredible. I understand the similarity of Shira to Halal. But how is the Shira... How is Yaz Yashir similar to Shema? So the Nesiv Shalom, Slon Rebbe, Shalom Noach Brzovsky, Zatzal, or Gedalio, many, 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 many others who developed the notion of what Shira is and what Shira is in contrast to other types of davening. Right? Those who study Sharon Batfila with me on Wednesday mornings, Rav Pinkus described the difference between Shira and Zimra. So what is Shira as a different category from all this else? So Shira, they say, is the spontaneous expression of joy. Shira is the language of the heart. It's the song of the soul. It's the melody of the neshama. Shira is what one spontaneously reacts with when they feel things make sense. When, when randomness and happenstance and chance become revealed into order and logic. When our lives, when, when things come together in a way which is overwhelming, when we're overwhelmed with a sense of God's role in our life, 
with gratitude, with His goodness, with the meaning and purpose and order to the universe, when we're overwhelmed with a sense of clarity, joy, jubilation, we can't help but react with Shira. Shira is not orchestrated. Shira is not choreographed. Shira, if it's choreographed, it's not Shira. If it's planned, next Tuesday, let's get together and sing Shira. That's not Shira. Shira is the response to experiencing God's role in our lives in such an overwhelming, clear fashion that it's undeniable. It's a spontaneous expression of joy. And therefore, it's an experience that often only lasts for a fleeting moment. Almost by definition, it's something which isn't permanent. Shira doesn't... It's not that you sang Shira and you don't ever stop. Shira is what you experience at the moment, and unfortunately, often it's fleeting. It's temporal. It's hard to capture in a permanent way. The words in Shira are merely the vehicle to awaken our deepest thoughts and feelings and to allow our souls to sing. Really, it's not... It's, it's the... It's the feeling inside which we're trying to express. The words are the vehicle through which we're trying to communicate this notion, this sense of really feeling connected. So now it makes a lot of sense. Rabbi Akiva says, Az Yashir is similar to Hallel. You're praising God. The reaction, the response to that God's overwhelming goodness in our life. I don't know if you've ever had this experience of, of thinking things are terrible, the doctor gives you good news, witnessing the birth of a child, hearing that one's pregnant after trying for a long time, hearing one has a job and can get out of financial debt, worrying and then seeing things work out in a magnificent way that you never anticipated. Whatever the case may be, when things come together and work out, and when you feel at that moment just a clarity, it's this clarity of vision, of thought, of feeling, that God's involved in your life, you can't help but react by praising Him. That's Shira similar to Halal. But says Rabbi Nechemia, Halal is not the proper parallel. It's Shema. What is the essence of Shema? What do we accomplish and achieve when we say Shema? Kabbalah's Omalchus Shemaim. It's Kabbalah's Omalchus Shemaim. Shema is accepting the yoke of heaven. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel. Who's that O Israel? If you're saying Shema at home alone, who's O Israel? You open the windows and yell, Hear, O Israel! 51% of the people in Boca, Jews of Boca, hear, O Israel! No, of course not. The O Israel is ourselves. Shema Yisrael, we're talking to ourselves. Listen, wake up! Shema Yisrael! Hashem Elokeinu! God is Hashem, HaYehovah Ve'iyah, the, the was, is, and will be, Kola Yecholas, the person who's all capable, the being who's all capable, omnipotent, He's Hashem Elokeinu. He's our God. Hashem Echad. There's a unity, a uniqueness to this God. And what does that mean? If you acknowledge that God's existence, then you have to come to love God. To know God is to love God. And then you have to come to do, learn His Torah, study His diary, get to know Him, and to do His mitzvahs. That's the progression of Shema. Kabbalah Machu Shemaim, Kabbalah O Mitzvos, the second paragraph, and so on. So Shema is accepting God's role in our life. So says Rabbi Nechemia, Shira is more similar to Shema. Because normally, the Kabbalah Shemaim, we accept God's role in our life. Through Shema, God's role might be hidden to us. Think about it. When is Shema said? When is the prominent moment that we associate Shema being recited? On the lips of whom? Martyrs, giving their lives for God. In the Holocaust, on the way to the gas chamber. Shema Yisrael. In fact, I once saw, it may be Rav Pincus, I forget where I saw this. Why do we cover our eyes when we say Shema? 
Because we're saying, sometimes in order to be able to say, I have to not be looking at the world right now. Because if I look at the world right now, none of it makes sense. If I look at my life, or if I look at the world, or if I look at my circumstance, how could I say, God, you're in charge, it's all from you. So we cover our eyes, and we go to a place where we're not looking at the reality as it appears to us. We cover our eyes to ascend to a higher place where we say, in that place, God is omnipotent and all-knowing and all-controlled. So Shema has within it, when even when God is concealed and hidden, it's Kabbalah's Olmachu Shemaim. But says Rabbi Nechemia, you know when you have Kabbalah's Olmachu Shemaim without God's being concealed, when He's revealed, that is Shira. Shira is when you experience something so miraculous, so overwhelming, with such clarity, when you feel God's role in your life, and you have this song of the soul, the song of the heart, the spontaneity, you react with a sense of Shira. So our Avos, all those individuals, Adam Arishon, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, they may have praised God, and they may have thanked God, but it's only at this moment, when they stand at the sea, with the Egyptians drowning in the sea, and freedom awaiting before them, and understanding that they now have a mission and a mandate as a nation on their way to Har Sinai, now all of a sudden it all makes sense. You know, if you stand next to a piece of art, if you stand up to a painting, too close, all you see are little dots. And the little dots are ugly. They're random. They don't make sense. You see ugly dots. And sometimes you have the privilege of taking a few steps back, and now you see the picture. And the complete picture is magnificent. Usually we live life as little dots. This hour, this day, this week, this month, it's a little dot. There are glimpses, there are moments, there are windows in our lives where we're able to take a few steps back and we see the painting. We see the dots coming together to form an image um, that's magnificent, that's beautiful. And it's at those moments that we react and we respond with a sense of Shira. So Adam, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, they never, they never had those dots coming into a complete picture, coming into focus. It's now when B'nai Yisrael see the whole canvas, it's now that everything makes sense, that God is completely tangible before them, and they react with that sense of Shira. And that's, that's what we're about to read right now, is how they reacted, that sense of Shira they reacted with, and it's what we're supposed to feel. If we every day try to see in our lives God's hand, God's role, if when we say Az Yashir and Davening, we do so with Simcha, with joy, says the Mishnaburah according to Zohar, we're guaranteed Olam Haba. It means if we see God in our lives, and we see with clarity, and we welcome with great spirit Hashem in our lives, then that's what we're Zohar to as well. So that's a little bit of an insight into I think what she, at least, you know, what, what's meaningful for me about what Shira is really all about. That's the Rav, uh, Rabbi Soloveitchik explained. Vayar Yisrael <clears throat> the people saw God's great hand, and then they responded, Az Yashir. Says the Rav, quote, Whenever one stands before God, whenever one experiences the splendor of His presence, there's an obligation to sing before Him. The children of Israel sang as a result of the experience of perceiving, This is my God and I will beautify Him. His presence was so palpable <coughs> during the splitting of the sea, they could figuratively point to Him. Similarly, Levim sang during temple service because they were in the presence of God. So said the Rav, this is also the Makor. We know that part of the avoda, part of the service in the temple, is not only the work of the priests of the Kohanim, the Levium had to accompany the avoda of the Kohanim, the Levium had to sing, the Levium had to accompany it with song. Said the Rav, why? They represented this Az Yashir. 
At the moment of the Avoda, what is Avoda? When you see, when you're Lifnei Hashem, when you see God's existence so clear before you, and you do the Avoda to connect with Him, so that clarity of God's existence must invoke a sense of Shira. And that's the Shira of the Levium. When one sees God with clarity, one reacts with Shira, and that was orchestrated daily in the Beis HaMikdash, even though that's somewhat against what we said in the notion that the song of the Levium was choreographed, but that was the daily choreographed spontaneous, you know, like in Nancius Y, you know, at Motsi Shabbos will have the spontaneous singing, you know, you put it together. So sometimes you choreograph spontaneity too. So the, uh, the choreographed spontaneity was the Levium singing in the Beis HaMikdash. Okay. Right. Right. So they blew the shofar, and it was such a great joy, and it was spontaneous. I think I think that's a, actually an excellent example, and I meant to mention it, so I thank you. But if you're reading the phenomenal new book that's come out by Yossi Klein Alevi, like Dreamers, if anyone's reading it, if not, you should read it. It's a phenomenal book that tells the story of the Six Day War, the capture of Yushalayim, and follows the profiles of the individuals in the 55th Battalion who did so, remarkable people, came from very different backgrounds and went on to lead very different lives. It's a fantastic book. But if you, I mean, I, 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 wasn't, uh, I wasn't alive during the Six-Day War. Um, I was talking to my, my parents. My mother was reading the book and we were talking about it. For her, she said it, it reminded her about all of the, the feeling then. And this Shira was kind of, it's really the description of what she says it was like following the Six-Day War. There was a euphoria I mean, and, and also, if you, if you draw the parallels, the Jewish people stood between the sea and the Egyptians. And they thought, this is it. Our freedom lasted 10 minutes. This was it. We came out of all that suffering for naught. This was it. Now it's over. We experienced freedom for such a short time. And now here they are trying to get rid of us again. And there's not a chance we could escape it. These mighty Egyptians, their chariots and their weapons, we have no chance whatsoever. Well, think about the Six-Day War. From 1948 to 1967, the Jewish people said, we've had 10 minutes of freedom. We were persecuted in our 2,000 years of exile. We have our own state of Israel. It's been fun while it lasted. We had 10 minutes of freedom. And now, you know, they, they dug 30,000 graves before the Six-Day War. The Hever Kadisha of Israel anticipated the slaughter would be so great, they, buried 30, they, they dug 30,000 fresh graves. And then... It wasn't a six-day war. If you study it, it was actually over in one day, a day and a half. As soon as they wiped out the Egyptian Air Force, it was over. So the reaction, you know, my mother was describing to me, again, I wasn't alive then, that, that it was just the whole world was in awe of the Jew. You know, my mother said, you, a Jewish person walking around the streets of whatever city they lived in in America, you know, people looked at them like, y- you are the Israeli army. You know, they take a step backwards, like, whoa. You know, look what the Israeli army just did. Everybody are surrounding them, fighting them. It was a different time. So the world was singing Shira. Maybe it was a few days, Aliyah. You know what, Aliyah, the, the, the bump in Aliyah that came. But there was a sense of euphoria, of everything making sense, of God's revealed role, of the miracle. A miracle that Rav Yaakov Emden, we said last week, says, he wasn't alive in the Six-Day War, he died long before. But Rav Yaakov Emden says, when he sees the miracles that have happened in our exile, they're greater than the splitting of the sea. 
And yet we don't we neglect them. The six day war is perhaps a miracle on par with the splitting of the sea. Those thirty thousand graves didn't need to be weren't utilized, thank God. They were refilled and they weren't utilized. And there are tremendous parallels. And that's the sense we can hopefully appreciate responding with a sense of Shira. Okay, so let's get into the Shira. Now that we've <laughs> used up most of our time. So az yashir. What tense is the word yashir in? Yashir is in the future tense. What should it say? Look at the Yorachayim Akadosh. Says Rav Chaim Benatarn. Lo yatzarich lomar az elavayashar Moshe. What do you mean az? Then when else would it be? The Torah doesn't tell us as each episode unfolds. Then. When you're telling a narrative, you don't need to keep saying, then this, then this. You just say what happened. We don't find the use of the word, us, then, then, then. So why here, Arachayim says, why does it say, us, Yashir? It should say, Vayashar Moshe. In the past tense, the way the rest of the story is told. Vadavar muvan ki az shoreru. Achein yechaven akasav laodienu hachanas hamusag. Ki kishenichnesa belibam yirasa romamus vaemuna. Az means then and only then. Az tells us, well, it wasn't this happened, and that happened, and the other thing happened, and they went there, then they said this, then they did, and then they said this. No, the then means there was something special they felt in their hearts, similar to what we just described about what Shira is. Az, only with that feeling, only Az, only with that feeling, Yashir. Only then can you feel. And why does it say Yashir in the future tense? Says two interpretations why it's in the future tense. The second interpretation is Yashir, this is a biblical allusion to the fact that we're going to say it as part of davening every day. Okay, it's cute, but Biblical illusion, it's only rabbinic that we say it every day. What do you mean a biblical illusion? Fine. But the first interpretation is Yashir means you might have thought from Az then and only then. No one will ever be Zoha, no one will ever merit to say Shira again. It was a one time event in human history. So that's why it says Az only with that feeling, but Yashir, and you're capable of doing it again in the future. Az only if you have this appropriate mindset and feeling. Is it Shira? But not Az Shar Moshe, then Moshe sang, because then we would be, we'd give up hope that we could ever tap into it. So it's Az, it's only with the appropriate mindset and feeling, but Yashir in the future tends to tell us that we are capable of tapping into that again. And after a six day war, after a national salvation, after a personal individual experience, we are with the mentality of Az, we are capable of Yashir again. Rashi, it's a long Rashi, we're already late, but Rashi tells us. It's actually a reference, Yashir to Tchiyas HaMesim in Torah, the resurrection of the dead. That just as they were dead in their own minds, and it was a Tchiyas HaMesim, it was a miracle that they came back to life. So similarly there'll be Tchiyas HaMesim. Amr Rabbi Sayyidina Zichron Lavrach, in the middle of the long Rashi, Mikan Remez the Tchiyas HaMesim in Torah. This is a hint, an allusion to the idea of 
to the idea of the resurrection of the dead in the Torah. Not for now, but I'll leave you with the question. It's one of the 13 principles of our faith. We say it in Davening, God, you will bring the dead back to life. What does it mean? Machlok is Rambam and Ramban, Maimonides and Nachmanides. How do you come back to life? Decrepit, frail, old, as a young child that has an adolescent. Certainly if you believe in Gilgulim, if you believe in reincarnation, which body are you coming back to in life? There's a million and one questions you could ask about Trias HaMesim. So, which leads to the bigger question. How could it be one of the principal core f- parts of our faith if I'm not exactly sure what I need to believe? Did the, was the Ramban a heretic according to the Rambam? Was the Rambam a heretic according to the Ramban? Because they disagreed about what Trias HaMesim means and you have to believe in Trias HaMesim to be a believer. It's one of the 13 principles of faith. So... If we're still unclear what to believe, how can we fulfill that obligation to believe? If your head's not spinning now, I'm sorry. But that's, that's one. A second is an even bigger question. It doesn't say it anywhere in the Torah. One of the core principles of our belief, without which you cannot be a believing Jew, we ask the conversion candidate in the mikvah, do you believe in Tchiyas HaMesim? Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? It's only an affirmative answer that we continue with the immersion. You have to believe it. Yet there's something so core to our belief that's nowhere in the Torah. Reward and punishment is nowhere in the Torah. Resurrection of the dead is nowhere in the Torah. This is the closest you get, says Rashi. It's a remez, a hint, an illusion. Remez the Tchiyas HaMesim in the Torah. This is the closest that you, that you get. So that's what he understands from Yashir in the future tense. It's an allusion to Tchiyas HaMesim in the Torah. Ask the Kliyakar a fundamental question. Nobody here brought up. Why didn't they sing Shira after the ten plagues? If there had never been a splitting of the sea, we would have been sitting here saying, ten plagues were the greatest, everything made sense, it all came to, it was perfect. Why didn't they sing Shira then? We say, oh, well, we know that Az Yashir, that was the last miracle. They didn't know that then. We only have the advantage of hindsight to say that the splitting of the sea became the greatest miracle. But when the ten plagues occurred, it was the greatest miracle until the time. Ask the Kliyakar, Mashalosh take of Petesim and Mitzrayim, why didn't they sing Shira immediately when they left Egypt? Why did it take till after the splitting of the sea? Because even after they saw the ten plagues, they still were wavering in their belief of God. Could you imagine what the Kliyakar says? Even after the ten plagues, they still were wavering. They still had this slave mentality. They were still graduating. They were still therapy. They were still trying to get out of the slave mentality. The, the, the Kliyakar saying this. The Kliyakar didn't say it. I couldn't say it. They were wavering in their amuna. And then he goes on to some, some references. He, he then looks in the next... Uh, why is it called why is it called the Shira? Why isn't it called the Shir? Why is it in the feminine? The Shira, not the Shir, in the masculine, Lashon Zachar. Omar Razal, our rabbis taught in Shmas Rabbah, Koshira Saolamazeh, Nemru Balashan Nekeva. All of the songs in this world are said in the Lashon Nekeva. The Seder, we say Venomar Lafanav Shira Chadasha. In the feminine. Why is it in the feminine? So listen to what the Kliyakar says. Leda. 
Right now we have good news, but there's going to be pain yet again. So you find out you're pregnant, ooh, that's good news. But I got some bad news. <laughs> Something called childbirth. With the redemption comes the pain. There's, right, the way we end uh, Tisha B'Av morning, the Kinos. Kisha B'tira. Yes. Yes, sir. Right, great question. Why do I need to be told Lamor? Vayomru Lamor. Yeah. So I think it's it's uh look at the Ibn Ezra, he comments on it. Ibn Ezra writes, why does it say Vayomru Lamor? Could you say Vayomru or Lamor? Kol echad ve'echad kacha. The idea here, Sarah, was that unlike normally where Moshe repeats something to from Hashem to the people and they passively listen, Az Yashir was originally recited responsively. Moshe would say the verse and the people would repeat the verse. Kol echad ve'echad kacha, says the Ibn Ezra. Vayamru, lemor. Moshe said it to them, lemor, for them to say it back, for them to say responsively. Oh, b'chol dor vador. Or the Ibn Ezra also says, maybe this was lemor, that in every generation we should say az yashir. This was not written to be a, a poem that was a one-time event. It was written to be a poem for in perpetuity. Okay, so that's the Kliyakar. So, so far we've seen... Why Yashir in the future, not the present? Why Shira, Lemur, in the feminine, not the masculine? Why was it not said when they left Egypt? Why did it take until now? And what is Shira altogether? Yes, Helen. I'm just wondering, you asked, why didn't you have Shira at the end of the Egyptian Exodus? Why didn't you have Shira at the end of Uh, interesting. In other words, these were the ones who left. So while you were with the ones who were behind and they were the majority, nobody was singing Shira. Yeah, that's also interesting, which is that maybe the presence of that other 80% brought down the 20%. Maybe they were mefakfakin, maybe they were wavering in their amuna because they were with people, skeptics and cynics and doubters who were trying to convince them. And only when they break free, were they able to really embrace their amuna fully to the point that it led to Shira. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. Okay, let's continue. I see we're not going to get through the whole Az Yashir. I had hoped we'd get past the first Pasuk, but there's so much to say here. I really, I prepared the whole Az Yashir. So Az Yashir, Moshe Ben Yisrael, Zashir Azos, Lashem, Vayomer Lemor, we covered all that. Ashira Lashem, I'm going to sing to God. Ki Ga'o Ga'a, what does Ga'o Ga'a mean? He is exalted, Ga'o Ga'a. He's exalted greater than those who are exalted. He is greater than Ga'a. Ga'a is Lashon Gaiva. We use the term Gaiva, Abal Gaiva. Who's Abal Gaiva? What's Abal Gaiva? Arrogance. Arrogance. So Ga'o, God is even greater than the Bal Gaiva thinks he is, or she is. Sus v'rachvo, Rama Vayam. The horse and its rider were cast about we're thrown about in the sea. So what's going on here? So Rashi says, Ga'o Ga'a. We're going to see a lot of different interpretations. What is Ga'o Ga'a? Now recognize the language here is different than we're used to because this is poetry. This is a song. This is a song. By the way, this song is different than the other songs of the Torah. If you look in the Torah, and the Stone Chumash does us a favor by laying it out the same way it appears in the Torah, 
You say it's, it's you see it's laid out different than other other shiros. The shear of Devorah, the shear of of uh, Hazinu, are laid out as columns. This is laid out as bricks. What does it tell you? The difference between columns or bricks forming a wall. Which is more permanent? Which is more fragile? Columns can be toppled over. Being staggered, right? You don't build a wall by, by laying bricks one on top of the other. You build a wall by staggering them because it makes a stronger foundation. The foundation of the Az Yashir is a permanent one. There's a big discussion. The Gemara Megillah has a discussion about the structure. It's not just chance. It's not like the calligraphers of the Torah, the Sofrim, decided, oh, this would be a pretty layout. The layout of Az Yashir in the Torah is also ordained. The Gemara Megillah explains. And Hazinu, different, the Shir of Hazina, Hazinu, different than this Shir. Anyway, what does Gigoga mean? So Rashi says, Kitargumo, First Rashi quotes the Targum. The Targum Munkla says, Ki ga'o ga'a means that God is uh, strong. Go'o ga'a, God is strong and mighty. Hold on, where is this here? I think the stone makes a reference to it, no? Oh, No, it goes on as So Rashi says, the double language teaches us, God did something that a human being is incapable of doing. When a human being, if two people are fighting, go to the Renaissance Fair, two people on a horse is fighting, one wins when he pushes the other off the horse. But God was able to defeat the rider and the horse at the same moment. Something that could not be done by another is what's worthy of being described as geos. So God is go'o What's God's greatness superior to man? When man fights somebody on a horse, he wins by pushing him off the horse. God wins by pushing the rider and the horse simultaneously. That's what Rashi says in the next Rashi. The rider and the horse remained attached. Even while the waves banded them back and forth and they went up and down and ultimately they drowned, they drowned together. They weren't separated. Somehow that is an expression of God's, of God's might. Says the Ibn Ezra, Ki Says the Ibn Ezra, no, the double language is referencing the rider and the horse. The horse feels mighty and strong. The rider feels like a warrior. God defeated both of them. Like you're shooting an arrow. It was nothing for God. It took nothing. Says the Rashbam, Go-ga'a, says the Rashbam, unlike his grandfather Rashi, unlike the Ibn Ezra, Go-ga'a, he says, is the reaction to victory in war. Go-ga'a is describing God as being triumphant in this battle with the, with the Egyptians. And the Orachayim has something, they all, the Ramban, everybody weighs in on what Ki-ga'a is. Um, wow. <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. All right, I think we're going to stop here. So much more I want to talk about. Zekeli Van Veyu, so much to talk about. All right, please God, next year.
Parsha Peshalach will go through Az Yashir because it really transforms your davening. If you understand what these Pesukim are talking about, well, Amir Hashem take it from there.